What's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome to the show. If you can tell, I'm excited because I had a wonderful guest today named Ali Cassell. He's coming up. He's the editor-in-chief from The Bird Rights, and we had a really awesome conversation uh, on and off the air. So really excited to get you guys to check that out. But before we move on, go and check our site, pelicandebrief.com. We've got a lot of fun stuff. We've got some season reviews. We've got a really fun conversation on Friday between representatives of the 76ers, the Nuggets, the Bulls, the Lakers, as well as the Pelicans, and Ali himself as to the future of uh, Drew Holiday and potential landing spots. So make sure that you check our site on Friday. As always, a uh, big high five to Rick Stone, the Pelican Debrief editor. I forgot to introduce myself. I am the host, Preston Ellis, and you guys can follow me at Preston Ellis. As always, I'm so excited and appreciative that you guys are here and listening. Our numbers have really been booming, I think in large part to uh, our friends over at Bourbon Street Shots. We had uh, interviews with Brennan Clean, Mason Ginsburg in the past two weeks. They did fantastic jobs, and they really uh, gave us a lot of help as to advertising, retweeting, and all that stuff is so appreciative. If you guys can help us out with that, uh, just retweet, share, like, do your part. We really appreciate uh, all your support. We love doing this podcast and we want to keep it going. In the past few weeks, if you guys want to go back and listen to some of our previous episodes, we had a, a big thrill when we had Jordan Crawford on and his press representative, Mia Fields. Of course, we've had our old friend Ian Levy of Fansided NBA and the Step Back, Brendan Clean of the Step Back and Bourbon Street Shots, Mason Ginsburg, uh, Rick Stone, some guys from Pelican Debrief, like Chris Connor and Wilton Jackson, and we just want to keep it rolling. So without further ado, uh, let's bring on the Bird Rights Editor-in-Chief, Ali Cassell. You guys, it's time to phone a friend. And now I am very excited to introduce to you all Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights. How are you doing, Ali? Hey, Preston. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been reading your stuff for the past few years. Such a big fan. So thrilled to finally have you on here. Just for you guys listening, you can follow Ali at Red Hopeful. He is the editor-in-chief of BirdRights.com, TheBirdRights.com. This is SB Nation's tribute to the New Orleans Pelicans, and he's got a great staff of guys like Dave Fisher, Kevin Barrios, Zach Yunda. Is that how you say Yunda? Yes. Okay, perfect. Uh, but before we go anywhere else, typically I'll start off talking about Mickey Loomis and Del Demps and Alvin Gentry. Uh, David Fisher has a great article about on that and how we really shouldn't worry about it at this point. But you have a fantastic article right now on Drew Holiday, and the uh, article is specifically titled, Drew Holiday is an elite point guard, but there's good reason why you may never see that version. And I want to dive right on into that since he is the, the focal point of our offseason right now. Tell our readers, of, or sorry, tell our listeners a bit about your article, and then we'll dive in on some specifics of it. Sure, Preston. Yeah, as you probably know, and any Pelicans fan knows, Drew Holly's had his ups and downs in his four years in New Orleans, and none more than last year, where he you know, missed the first about 10 games or so this season to be with his wife. They came back a little rusty, and then he, uh, you know, he just had good performance followed with strings of bad performances, and it was really bad there for a while after the Marcus Cousins trade. So eventually, all the all fans basically had, you know, they they have no desire to see him come back to New Orleans, especially for some of the figures that the contract figures that are being tossed around on social media. And so, you know, I've always been a big proponent of his. I always looked a little deeper than you know from game to game, or just you know, you got to look past certain plays that even though they have a big barometer on the outcome of some games, just got to look at a bigger picture. And so, you know, digging in, his numbers actually compare really, really well with some of the better players in the league. But the problem is, 
it only sh- he only really shines is when Anthony Davis and Demarcus Cousins sit are off the you know off the floor. And so when you just look at you know everything he does and as a whole, it's hard to see. It. But when you break down what he can bring, uh, it's there. He, he can become that elite scorer, the the ball distributor that the team needs. And as everybody knows through all the season, his defense was outstanding. He was almost like the little quarterback or I don't know how to say the safety, I should say, maybe of the team. That's where Anthony Davis was guarding the paint. He was flying around on a perimeter, making sure people weren't getting easy looks or bodying up some of the better players like James Harden. So he was really a vital component. And so I just want to dig deep into what he brought, and his numbers look good. Um, We can dig into some of that because basically I looked at where point guards, there's two major things you have to look at on offense on what or how they can excel versus the opponent. And one, they either have to be able to create their own offense and low, you know, use their athleticism to create that offense or two, be able to shoot off the dribble. Like, so basically wherever they can find a sliver of space, go ahead and knock down that jumper. And that's where Drew Holiday actually excelled. When I dug in, he actually compared really well with Kimber Walker, Damian Lillard uh, on their shooting percentages from pull-ups uh, anywhere from three-point range down to, you know, to the rim. So, the numbers are there, and I just want to make people cognizant of the fact that, you know, if the Pelicans are going to sign for that big amount, don't get floored, don't get flustered because he's actually a good guy. But because of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, two players that, you know, Kemba, Damian Lillard, even John Wall, they don't have those type of teammates where they're going to suck a lot of that offense, a lot of those looks to where, you know, it's going to reduce their numbers. Drew Holiday has to deal with that. Those guys don't. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, it's a fantastic job. Everybody should go over and check it out. And like you said, he played incredible defense. Bleacher Report actually had him rated as the number one uh, in the point guard position. Uh, Talk to us a bit about, you wrote a bit about the offensive real plus minus and the numbers and how they compare to other players. And you even dive into how when DeMarcus and um, Anthony Davis are off the floor, his numbers compared to that of LeBron James and James Harden in the regular season, scoring about 21, 8 and 8 per game. Talk to our listeners a bit about the ORPM that he produced this season. Okay, yeah, that's... It's a catch-all stat that ESPN uses, and what people don't understand, it's not exactly a ranking of the players. It's what they've done in the past, and it, it goes back three years. So basically, those numbers and his rating, his all, all the above, it all takes into consideration the fact he's played with Anthony Davis, the fact he's missed so many games. He's played hurt. He hasn't played that many minutes. All that's going to knock him down a peg. As to where, like, Russell Westbrook and James Harden are going to play 40 minutes, be the center of the offenses, have, you know, as many looks as they can handle and knock down enough shots and, you know, put these statistics together with the uh, nice assists and rebounds and all the above. Drew Hawley has never really had that opportunity to do that. So RPM, ORPM, ESPN's uh, real plus minus, it punishes him, you know, for both the, you know, the mediocre attempts and also the fact that he's on a lousy team. Uh, they, they, their formula, I don't know exactly what it is. I don't think anybody does outside the people that came up with it. Um, it also takes in consideration team performance. So <laughs> if you look, it's not hard to figure that Drew Holiday hasn't played with the best of teammates either over the last three years. Um, like last year was so injury riddled, both he and the team, they never got anything going. And then this year it was mostly just he and Anthony Davis for a while carrying the team, you know, so his numbers just aren't going to compare too favorably. 
Yeah, and uh, before we added DeMarcus Cousins, you have him at 21-8-8 eight and eight when both are off the floor. When Anthony Davis was on the floor before the addition of Cousins, he was at about 16.8. In your opinion, what is keeping Drew's aggr- uh, aggressiveness in check once these star players are on the floor with him? Well, he's always been a pass-first type of guy. He's, always, he's never been the guy that's wanting to grab the bull by the horns, be in the limelight, whatever you want to call it. Um, he's just, he's always been a team guy who's always just cared about the wins, but he's been quiet about the way he does his business. You know, he's not going to get too vocal. I think maybe I saw about 80, 80 games this year. And I think I maybe saw him, you know, exclaim or pump a fist maybe three times all year. Um, this guy just keeps everything in check and he plays that way too. So when, when he's alongside those type of players, he's, I don't want to say that he's always going to defer to them, but more times than not, that's just who he is. So, yes, he will. And the fact, you know, Gentry's system has had a real tough time uh, of the players really accepting, especially the starters over the last couple of years. They've just had an issue of, you know, getting that spacing down, getting that ball movement down. Um, so that's even put more, so to speak, pressure on the point guard to create that type of offense. And Drew, he's just not that type. Like I said, he's not. he doesn't have that – dominant gene that blood uh, blood type you know type a <laughs> just to make it happen on his own just say look forget it i'm gonna take it on my shoulders and uh you guys can ride me just like you know oklahoma city does westbrook yeah uh doesn't seem like he put a lot of that uh type performance out this year with anthony davis playing in 75 games more than any other season i think by 10 i think his closest uh, season to that was was around 63 so we saw a lot of the two of them playing together and that took away some of his aggressiveness that he displayed last year as a six man when he was uh, putting up 30 points regularly at some point uh, talk about the turnovers after the demarcus cousins and the anthony davis uh additions at the trade deadline it seemed like the pelicans tried to employ tight uh sort of a, a triangle type set and uh Kumar of Bourbon Street Shots wrote a bit about this, and it forced Drew Holiday into a lot more turnovers than he had been averaging. He finished the season with with almost three turnovers per game because of the high volume of mistakes he was making uh, during that 25-game stretch. Why do you think he was moved away from point guard over to off guard, and what do you think contributes to all those turnovers once Boogie was added to the team? Yeah, okay, so there's a couple things to say here. First off, Jamil actually commented on this because Kumar had, and I read his article about how he figured it, was, it resembled a triangle offense. But what it was was more just side pick and rolls. So what they were doing is they were having Drew Holiday not bring up the ball or had, had the off guard go ahead and handle it at the top of the key, and then he would move to either side of the floor, and then that's where he would go ahead and run a side pick and roll with either DeMarcus or Anthony Davis. So um, it was just really side pick and rolls. But – the, the main thing I saw with Drew was the fact that the team went through a period where he had shooters, and then the next day he comes back in, there's DeMarcus Cousins, all of a sudden Buddy Hill's not there, Langston Galloway's not there. These two guys were our most prolific three-point shooters on the team. So now suddenly there's Solomon Hill and um, Dante Cunningham more than ever out there. And this is before, if you remember, Jordan Crawford didn't come over right away either, so these guys were really hurting, and yeah, he played a lot off the ball well with Tim Frazier as well. So none of these guys were going to go ahead and be in the prime position to go ahead and shoot the three and, and uh, shoot it with confidence. So it put a lot of pressure on Drew to where he decided to keep the ball more times than either look for his own offense or try and find or hit the Marcus or Anthony Davis. 
And if, I don't know if you remember, but there, I can remember countless times where they run a pick and roll and either he would have a uh, ball stripped from him because he's, he's looking so hard. I don't think he's paying that much attention to where his defender is or an additional help defender reaching in and swiping it away. Or then on the passes, he tried to force so many of them to where he, I remember he even missed or had a couple of open, wide open layups, and he just flat out passed them up to make the pass. Um, I think I think what happens is the player just gets in the tunnel vision. When they're constricted and when they know there's a little bit more pressure on them, they're going to try and make that play. And by in doing so, you know, the, the risk of a turnover is going to go, you know, go up. And his did. I think he averaged, what was it, in that first month with DeMarcus, it was close to five turnovers a game, something, something ridiculous, something he's never really done in his life before. And but fans jumped all over that and they latched on that, even though he's been one of the best assist to turnover guys in the league for years. Uh, that was a really rough patch for him. And like I said, I, I just go back to where all the pressure came on his shoulders. And you know, uh, Alvin Gentry knows that that's why they moved Tim Frazier back into the starting lineup to help him to uh, just, just swing the ball around more, not to feel like he's got to be the guy to make the play because Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, although they're two major offensive components, they still had to look for other teammates, even though they wouldn't look to get their own offense or wouldn't shoot unless they were wide open. So to boil it all down, yeah, Drew Holiday just – and, and oh, one thing I forgot to mention, Preston, is the fact that we can't forget what happened to him all this entire year. He's been dealing with – he had a baby, but more importantly, his wife. Um, and I think that she's still not in the clear. I think from what I've heard, she's still currently rehabbing. So he's had this on his shoulders or on his head the whole time. And if you, if you're a believer like I am and that the game is, you know, like 80, 90% more mental than it's physical, it's no wonder why Drew suffered. He just wasn't, he couldn't be as focused as he needed to be like normally he was like any other player because of what was going on at home. So all these combination of factors, I think just, just, when you put it all together, we got what we saw, and, you know, that's how I explain it away. That's why I'm not looking for this to continue on next year. That's why I'm a big proponent. The team needs to try and bring them back, of course, on a reasonable contract, not giving them a max or anything like that. Totally. And uh, just to say a bit about Drew Holiday and his wife, Lauren, uh, both went to UCLA and Los Angeles. Um, I love basketball. I love watching the Pelicans play. I've never been one of these diehard fans that's – throwing stuff at the TV or yelling obscenities at a player. I, I just love watching the game, and I hope from the bottom of my heart that that he does whatever's best for him and his family. If he wanted to walk away from basketball, if he wanted to go to Los Angeles to be closer to home or closer to where they fell in love, I am in total support of all of that. I can't imagine uh, going through something like that myself. I don't think I'd be strong enough to to go back to work, much less play in the NBA, although I'm, I'm sure it was a wonderful relief from him. And I don't think, I hope he wouldn't go back he he was I don't have the exact quote in front of me but he made it very clear that he wasn't planning on playing any basketball until she was healthy and happy and ready for him to go back so I have to I have to hope that um that she's on the men and the baby is doing well and and everything is just in great condition because I I wouldn't I I wouldn't like to think about him going on some of those road trips and those back-to-backs and those you know seven games and ten nights if if he was still um I don't know, worrying about that. But at any rate, we don't know what's going on. I don't want to talk about it too much because, uh, honestly, it just makes me uh, worry. But just, just to talk about him and just to eliminate that, hopefully that's not in the back of his brain at all. Um, some, of, some of his shooting, and then I'll move on from this, some of his shooting also suffered this year, and it could obviously have been a part of that. But a lot of it had to 
came to fruition after the addition of DeMarcus Cousins. His three-point shooting is one I want to specifically talk about. He was at a a career pace of 39.3. That's higher than he's averaged any other season since. And then he went down to 30. And like you said, the the additions and subtractions of 10-day contracts like Wayne Selden, Reggie Williams, Hollis Thompson, adding Jordan um, Crawford out there must have played a factor on that. But uh, and his free throw percentage went down 14% on the year. Do you think all of that is just looking around and being uncertain as to what to do with the ball, the new sets, or do you think there's more to that shooting uh, droppage? No, I, I think we pretty much covered what it is. Um, it, it was never a physical thing with him because, like you said, 39% before Demarcus got there, um, he had guys that you know were a relief out where Buddy liked to shoot as soon as he got it. Uh, same thing with Langston Galloway. Suddenly the team was devoid of those types, and he had to force a lot more shots. He had to be the guy within the last three or four minutes of the game taking those shots. That's where normally he would just go ahead and dish it off to one of those guys who were, you know, used to be in that position. So there was just a lot of things that went into it. And I think the biggest key that needs to be mentioned, Preston, is his free throw percentage. Are you kidding me? This guy for three straight years is over 80%, and he had trouble staying over 70% this year. Um, I think that's a clear indicator that he just wasn't mentally right. Um, you know, his free throw attempts also dipped uh, a little bit considering, I think, I forget what he averaged last year. It was something like over three a game, which was a career high. And he was like trending in the right way because you want your point guard to be more diverse to get to the line. But no, that took a big step back as well. So, I mean, there was just red flags all over the place. But he, he just wasn't the same guy that we saw last year, um, you know, taking the bull by the horns. I don't know if you remember, Preston, a game I always think back to is when he played the Charlotte uh, Hornets last year. I think both he and Anthony Davis had, what was it? They combined for close to 80 points or something ridiculous, like 40 and 40 or something. But we still lost, so I guess probably it's not that big of a deal to talk about. But it was still memorable because individually they just – they were as dominant as dominant can you know player can be. So, And we didn't see that out of him this year. So, like you mentioned, the three-point percentage. But I also look at that free throw percentage because that's where there's no activity. That's where – you know, you should be settled and, you know, your routine should take over. And boy, I think it was like he was at 84, 85% last year and it dropped down to 70%. That's just, yeah, there's, there was a lot more going on than just anything in his personal game on the court. Yeah, definitely a telling statistic. So let's move right along. But before we do that, uh, based on, on this article, I have to think that you're a big Drew Holiday fan and you want him back. Is that correct? Yeah, I've been a big proponent of his ever since he got here. Okay, so what kind of numbers are you thinking? According to Larry Kuhn on Locked on Pels, I believe he's eligible for something to the tune of five years, $176 million, which to me is totally and utterly insane. Another team can offer him up to four years and $130 million with uh, 5% raises annually. What What's an ideal number in your head? Well, at, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking roughly around $20 million. You know, so five years, $20 million, $100 million. I'm thinking we may have to knock that up a little bit considering um, there's, there's some point guard star teams out there and pretty much all the elite guys I think are going to end up staying where they are. Like Chris Paul, I think he's going to remain a clipper. Kyle Lowry, even though there's a lot, been a lot of talk recently, I really think he's going to go back to Toronto. Um, Philadelphia is still based and is going to get their point guard. Same with New York. So they've got a chance to snatch away a Jeff Teague or a Drew Holiday. If the Pelicans only, you know, they, they're, they're kind of adamant about staying close to the $20 million or even less a year. Um, I think the real figure, though, Preston's going to be around 22 to $25 million 
And I believe that we really have to get at, get after his brother as to where the Pelicans have to go ahead and bring Justin over here from New York so that those two can be together and give him a decent contract as well. So there's a lot of things. And I was, I was actually going to write about that soon that Justin Holiday is actually going to be maybe the biggest determining factor on whether Drew Holiday comes back, resigns with the team or not. Yeah, I, I'd have to believe that uh, there were rumors abounding. And we got an article, I'll preview it. Uh, Ali's actually helping me with it. It's going to debut on Friday about some of the other teams. I talked to some guys from the 76ers, the Knicks, the Lakers, the Bulls, the Nuggets, just expressing their interest in Drew Holiday and what that they hope their team will, will offer uh, in his place. But you'd have to think with the situation – Anyway, I said we weren't going to talk about it, but just with his family and health, that New York might not be the best place. It's such a difficult place to live. I lived there for 10 years, and obviously uh, he's got a much higher salary than I do. But you would think something in in the vein of, a, I don't know, Denver or Los Angeles would be more suitable for, for raising a family. But with that being said... Justin Holiday, we could fit him under the biannual exception, or we could go into the mid-level exception. But then we—I uh... think it would take the mid-level, Preston. Yeah, I think we wow. would definitely have to dig in the mid-level. He had a really good year under the radar, but you know what? Nothing's under the radar anymore with so many teams employing numbers guys, you know, analytical guys. So they're going to have to pay, I would think, you know, roughly about five million of that MLE for starters to bring him over. I truly believe it's going to take about you know four year. 22 $23 million contract, something in that range. And that will really hamstring us going forward. Uh, maybe you can tell me a bit about this. Dante Cunningham recently opted out of his $3 million player option. Uh, we would be uh, able to put some of that under the mid-level exception. Talk a bit about bird rights, since that is the title of your article, and what condition we could bring Dante Cunningham back. Sure. The bird rights is just one of many exceptions that the NBA salary cap allows teams to re-sign their players by going over the salary cap. And uh, obviously, it's a great thing to have bird rights. As long as the owner is willing to go over it and spend as much money as needed to make the team competitive, there's really not an issue. Uh, it's very beneficial to own full bird rights, which is three or more years, and that's what we have with Dante and Drew Holiday. So that, all that means is basically if we have no cap space, if all the MLE gets spent, all the exceptions get spent, Drew, um, sorry, excuse me, Dante Cunningham could still resign with the Pelicans um, for any figure. And, um, um, and they would utilize that bird rights exception to resign him. Yeah, and that'll be very important going forward. And that was a, a big topic of contention with the Omri Caspi injury that took place after we added him. Literally one game after we added him from the Sacramento Kings, the Pelicans no longer. How bizarre was that? Huh? How yeah, bizarre was that? <laughs> How nice would it be to have him on the squad going forward? Uh, at, at such a, yeah, uh, but the Bourbon Street shot guys did did a good job of. Uh, of uh, playing devil's advocate to that, saying that he could basically bid the Pelicans against themselves and uh, drive up the price on that. So there, there is a sort of contention on, on each side. Let's move right along. David Fisher wrote a big article on why we shouldn't expect to hear anything from Mickey Loomis and Airline Drive. But with that being said, it's been over a month since the end of the se season. It seems like there's no sense of urgency going forward. They are very tight-lipped about anything that happens there. When Monty Williams was fired, it seemingly came out of thin air. Uh, no no real uh, precursor to it. But this is the most important offseason, uh, seemingly, in the Pelicans' 12-year history. And, and my question to you isn't about the future of Dell Demps and Alvin Gentry, because I think at this point it's, it's sort of predetermined that they're going to ride this out with DeMarcus Cousins. But should we get to January 
and the Pelicans are, let's say, in the eighth seed or maybe even a couple of games out of it, and it gets to a point where we have to ultimately make the decision as to the future of DeMarcus Cousins, at that point, would you be comfortable with Dell Demps making that decision? Mm, great question. No, I want to say no, because not only we can look at the moves that have been made, have kind of been, you know, I guess we could classify them as short side. I've also heard about a lot of rumors that also players that, you know, deals that didn't pan out, and they all seem like short-sighted moves as well. Um, now, granted, but considering DeMarcus Cousins is now Pelican, there's one year left, I, I am all for being short-sighted. Go ahead and train any picks you need to to bring in better players. The biggest thing this is going to be this season, as you said, it's the most important offseason because what's going to happen is DeMarcus Cousins wants to make, make a playoff, a postseason like crazy. Um, if you look back over the last few years about some of his comments, that's been the only thing that's been driving him. Um, and if we, the Pelicans basically have to do it. They have got to get in the postseason to be able to even think DeMarcus Cousins wants to resign with the team. Now, if they do that, I think that's a gigantic step, and that might just be all it takes to where Cousins comes back. That is all the Pelicans are playing for this year, is to make sure DeMarcus stays, because in turn, I think that would lead Anthony Davis to stay. And if they just make the playoffs, then they're going to feel like they're going to be building towards something. Hey, last last year was an aberration because there was what? They played together 17, 18 games. And uh, so you can't really take anything from that. But a full season this year, and if it results in the playoffs, they've got something to look forward to. And therefore, the, the two big guys, the two main guys, two of the best players in the league, they're going to want to stay in New Orleans. Now, if they don't make it, the Marcus Cousins is going to walk. And so to go back to your original question, this puts Dell Demps in a really tough spot, and do, can we trust him? I think we can simply because he's going to pull out all the stops now to try and keep uh, DeMarcus Cousins here, and all that means is that he's going to make sure that the team's going to try and win any way they can. He's going to sacrifice any part of the future. At this point, we can say we're fine with that now because that is the ultimate goal. We've got our two stars on the team. We don't need any more. We just now need to keep them here. So, yeah, but <laughs> – it's going to get rough if the team is floundering around and if there's talk that, A, should he fire Alvin Gentry or B, even consider maybe trading DeMarcus just to make sure he gets something for him. Those are going to be some crazy, tough, difficult questions to answer because then I probably wouldn't trust him to make the best move for the team. Not to go uh, too deep into the All-Stars right now. Uh, the game last night with the, the Spurs and Rockets was certainly compelling. But when you look around and you see a Golden State team that's 8-0 through two rounds, you see a Cleveland Cavaliers team that's 8-0 through two rounds, do you ever stop and think, geez, Ollie, uh, it, it doesn't matter who we put on this team. We don't real, really have a shot. Do we really need to be mortgaging our future for a chance to finish a fourth seed and get swept 4 nothing in the second round? Actually, I'm just on the opposite side. I think what they have before them is the, is the fact that they can do what no other team in the league can. That's to dominate inside and out with two of the most versatile big men that cannot be guarded one-on-one. -on -one. I think you do throw the kitchen sink at this thing because of the fact that we have put them on the same team. I don't see any team ever beating um, Cleveland, who has LeBron, who has the best player in the league by far and away, surrounded him with a bunch of great shooters, or uh, the Golden State team that has uncanny shooters all around who have been used to playing with each other now for three, four years. Nobody's ever going to match it. Nobody's going to surpass it. I don't care how hot even the Houston Rockets would get. They would somehow shut down hard enough, and those guys there would just start missing. So the Rockets is actually a good team to watch, and how much trouble they're even having getting past the San Antonio Spurs, which now looks like they're not even going to be able to do that. 
So my point is you can do all the shooting you want from three-point range. You're still not even going to get to probably to face the Golden State Warriors or the Cleveland Cavaliers. So you just can't play that style and expect to win. Therefore, that's why I'm such a big proponent. You go ahead and throw the kitchen sink at this thing with uh, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Surround them with the most optimal players and give it a go. I don't care how much of the future you sacrifice. I think this is the only way you're going to even sniff a championship in this city with these two guys here. Once they leave, once they part ways, then the other one's probably going to leave soon after. And, God, it's going to be a long rebuild for a small market team. Okay, we're throwing in the kitchen sink. Uh, come with me, Ollie. So we've added Justin Holiday with a portion of the mid-level, $5 million. We've used our bird rights on Dante Cunningham. We still have all of our first-round picks going forward with the exception of possibly this one. We're waiting to hear on that because that one could solve all of our problems. Either uh, we could go ahead and draft one of these top three talents or we could you know, throw that in a package deal and try to bring somebody like Jimmy Butler into town. But just go with me. Let's let's assume that we don't have a 2017 pick. We've got a trade exception that we could use on somebody like a Will Barton. We still have our biannual. We still have a portion of our mid-level. And we still have all of our picks going forward. Do you have an idea as what direction you hope the Pelicans take this offseason? Yeah, once they – it's going to, of course, first come down to Drew Holiday. If, if they think that he's going to resign, then they can go ahead and start building the rest of the team around them. And, of course, like you mentioned, Justin Holliday, I think, is just going to be part of the package deal. And, thankfully, he's actually a decent player. Now, with him coming on board, I could see that where that would make Dante Cunningham almost expendable um, or some other players, depending on what kind of point cards they can get. See, I don't have a big belief in Tim Frazier anymore. I'm looking or thinking that more and more his uh, first year with the team was an aberration. And what I mean by that is it's strictly shooting. You have to be able to shoot the ball in this league, and Tim Frazier struggled all season last year. He just couldn't make anything from the outside, consistently, that is. So they're going to need to put another good top-notch point guard alongside Drew Holiday. I think it's too much ask of Quinn Cook. He's just a new arrival. He hasn't done anything in the league to be able to step in and kind of roll like that. Off the bench, I have a lot of faith in uh, Jordan Crawford, but I still think the team needs to go ahead and hunt down another point guard. And if we can't attract any big guy – like say, I don't know, one of the elite point guards, I'm, I'm looking at Darren Collison. I think this guy is such a solid player, and he's got experience playing in New Orleans, experience playing with, uh, alongside DeMarcus Cousins, um, experience playing alongside Chris Paul, so he knows how to play alongside another point guard. And more importantly than ever, he's played under Alvin Gentry with the Clippers back a couple of years ago. So he, 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 he'd be the perfect, perfect uh, guy to slot right in, I think where he could come in either off the bench or he could even start. Maybe Drew Holiday could start as shooting guard. It would give the team the versatility it needs and wants to maintain going forward uh, without having or being able to spend too many assets because I don't know how likely a Ricky Rubio is or whatever other targets some people are talking about out there. I think it's got to be you got to look at some of the free agents, uh, a Darren Collison, maybe even a Sean Livingston. And that's why we've got to watch how Kevin Durant, what he's going to do. If he forces their hand, they're going to have to probably say goodbye to Livingston, maybe even Andre Iguodala. So there's going to be some players that can be had, but we, we need to find another guy that can run that offense because if, if we're going to go ahead and keep Alvin Gentry here, that is, Del Dempsey is going to go give him another full year. We've got to go ahead and give him the players he needs to be successful. And that's going to require a point guard that can push the pace, make the passes up the floor, and Darren Coughlin and Sean Livingston can do that. We need a player like that more than anything. That's our number one need, I think.
I would love to add Darren Collison or Sean Livingston. Uh, at this point, it seems difficult, though, especially bringing Drew Holiday back. We're just operating over the cap with with a portion of our uh, mid-level and biannual. So are you suggesting that we, you know, package a, a first-round pick going forward with, like, an Alexis Agensa and a, and a <laughs> Quincy Pondexter in order to get some cap space? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly where I was leaning. Some okay, of those great. guys want to come over here and we need to make the space. They've got to be shipped out of here. I mean, those first, the first round picks, look, I, I'm excited like crazy to see where we're going to end up in the lottery, even though the chances are slim, but I have absolutely no, no, uh, no thought process of actually us keeping that pick a Josh Jackson, Lonzo ball, a Markel Fultz. There's no way on earth. The Pelicans are going to keep that pick. They're going to package him or that pick. If they get lucky in the lottery, Write it up with uh, whatever else it takes to uh, bring in another marquee name, somebody that can play and help right away. Wow. Okay. So uh, let's talk a bit about our biannuals, and then we'll move on to Alvin Gentry. We've brought him up twice in the past uh, five minutes. I definitely want to talk about him. Do you have any targets in mind with the biannual exception? I was thinking of taking a shot on a shooter like a Jody Mixer or an Anthony Morrow or bringing in a big guy like uh, possibly a Terrence Jones back or trying to see if we could afford somebody like a Todd Gibson, an older player who can only give us like two years or less. Do you have any targets in mind with that? I... I've looked at a few, and I just don't honestly find any of them that appealing. Like you mentioned, Anthony Morrow, I don't think he could bring anything to the team. Um, I've watched a lot of gold, or I'm sorry, excuse me, Oklahoma City Thunder play, and he's just not the same type of player that I remember him playing for us. As to where he was that firecracker off the bench, uh, you can count on him to make the threes and not be, you know, too badly burned on defense or whatever. Whatever else was required on the floor, he wasn't the biggest black hole. So ever since he's left New Orleans, he's kind of looked like that. Now, Meeks is an interesting guy. I think you mentioned, right, Jody Meeks? He's a guy I wouldn't mind throwing some money at because he's a great shooter. Obviously, the concern with him is all his injuries. And uh, he's had trouble just staying on the court the last few years. So if the Pelicans, if we can trust their their, uh, beaten up medical staff to uh, go ahead and check him out there early and they give him okay, he'd be a wonderful small, you know, shooter off the bench. Um, I just want to quickly mention, though, Jordan Crawford, I think at all costs, has to come back to this team. Um, I know it was a small kind of sample size, but I think he blended the perfect combination of both uh, scoring, shooting the long ball, and playmaking that you're just not going to be able to sign, much less fine for what – I forget what his unguaranteed total is, like $1.7 million, something along those lines. It's really tiny. So they've got to make sure that – if they're trying to create cap, get cap space, they don't kick him to the curb, even if they really need his money, they, or I'm sorry, the space on the cap sheet by getting rid of his contract, his unguaranteed contract. They got to find a way, make a way to, for him to stay. I'm a big believer in him. Um, yeah, apparently his but, contract for next season is at 1.7 million, but it's not guaranteed yeah. yet. I'm not sure when that goes into effect. Yeah, I think uh, they've got till. Oh God, when, when is that? Is it through um, training camp and then they have to make a decision or is it probably January? Yeah, that's right. It's sometime in January, I think, late December, early January, they got to make that decision. But, yeah, there aren't too many shooters that I've been eyeballing because, see, I think that Justin Holliday is going to come over here, that he will provide some of that shooting. Jordan Crawford will provide that shooting. Cunningham, if they bring him back, he's going to give some of that shooting. Then there's Etwan Moore. So I really truly question how much more shooting do we need. It's just more of the playmaking. I want to see another versatile big guy, like a rebounder next to for small ball lineups. Um, There's other things I think this team needs other than shooting as well. And I don't think anybody's ever really talking about that. 
So that's that's actually where my focus has been more than just finding a, a, a just strictly a guy that's going to come in and, and shoot uh, from off the bench. Hey, we may even have something in Quinn Cook. I mean, it's going to be fun to see him go through a full training camp and run with the team through what a six seven preseason games. He could be he could turn into like a Seth Curry did for Dallas this year. Um, there, there's options there. And this I don't mean we have to go ahead and waste a couple of roster spots on you guys that may or may not pan out. That's the way I've been looking at this. Definitely. Just to recap on Jordan Crawford, that uh, contract had full effect on August 1st. So you'd have to believe that, uh, barring some unforeseen injury over the offseason, that he will uh, be fully guaranteed for the 2017 season. Uh, briefly, do you have any hope Quincy Pondexter plays this year as a Pelican? I really badly want to say yes, but no, I don't see how anything rational person can. He's had setback after setback, and even Del Demps, the general manager on the exit, exit interviews, uh, comment he's just like one of the unluckiest guys. So how can we all of a sudden think that he's going to whatever, – whatever's ailing him. I don't know whether a surgery was botched, whether something didn't heal properly, whether, who knows. But I don't know how we can suddenly expect that to be, you know, taken care of and he can move forward. No, I think the Pelicans have to approach it that the, Quincy Pondexter is probably not going to be able to help them next year. Um, I know Del Demps on uh, a month ago alluded to the fact that it would be like a whole brand new free agent signing getting Quincy back. And I absolutely agree with him. But then you have to ask a follow-up question. What's the likelihood of that happening? And I hope to God nobody's putting too much you know, blind faith here because, you know, Burmy once, Burmy twice. I, I don't know how the saying goes, but I'm, I don't think anybody should count him coming back after two-plus years of not even playing any kind of ball. Um, nobody's even even talked about that, Preston. It's not that can Quincy come back. Can he even play at any kind of level like he used to, being away yeah. from the games for so long, you know? The pace yeah. of the game is so quick and it's so precise. Does he even have that in him, even if he is healthy? So, no, I don't think we can rely on Quincy, unfortunately. Yes, no. Do you want Alvin Gentry back? At this point, I think so. Um, I think the fact that they've, they've been mum on uh, making a move where they're going to keep the uh, the head coach and the general manager, um, I think, you know, for continuity purposes, for the fact that DeMarcus Cousins has thrown his support behind him, all the players seem to have thrown their support behind the coach as well. I think Gentry needs to come back. Um, I don't know who they would even be able to bring in at this point in the game that everybody would sign off on. So a lot of the coaching targets that I've liked in the past, like say uh, Thibodeau or um, um, who else am I missing here? Um, Van Gundy, Mark Jackson. In my mind. Who's that? Van Gundy, Mark Jackson are ones that I've heard rumors about. Yeah. So, no, no, I think they have to write it out with Alvin Gentry just simply because there's so much writing on, on the future of the franchise, which is, I think, DeMarcus Cousins. You keep that guy happy, you make the postseason, it's going to make the other big guy happy, Anthony Davis. It's, it's like a game of dominoes. It, it's all set up there. All it takes is for one to fall. Like, for instance, you get rid of Alvin Gentry, you bring in a coach that Cousins suddenly clashes with. I mean, that's no good. So, no, I think they've, they've tied their, their horse to the cart, so to speak, and they, they've just got to write it out now. Ollie, it's been uh, so fun getting your take on stuff. Just one more thing before I let you go. Do you have a favorite D or I should say G League landing spot at this point? The final six are Baton Rouge, Jackson, Mobile, Pensacola, St. Tammany Parish, and Shreveport. Do you have a favorite landing spot? I'm going to say that Baton Rouge would be my um, odds-on favorite. 
but I would like to see Mobile get it simply because I lived there for six years and God, that, that city needs some kind of sporting events because all I got to do for fun was either go to South Alabama college games or double a baseball. And that simply just didn't do it. So now I would like to see uh, the Pelicans go over there because there's actually quite a number of fans, although they're not too vocal, they do watch the Pelicans and, the reason for that is they expanded Fox Sports expanded Fox Sports New Orleans that is expanded their television coverage a couple of years ago. I think three years ago to include Mobile and a little bit beyond, maybe the Pensacola. So people have are, have become familiar with the product, and I think they may even go out and support it. So just just because I live there, I've got a little bit of built-in bias. So I like to see Mobile get it, but it would be understandable Baton Rouge or even what was it, Slidell, St. Tammany Parish get it just simply because it's. That's become the new thing I've noticed in D-League, to get the, the D-League as close as possible to the parent uh, team as to where they can share practice facilities. The coaches can, you know, just travel, what, an hour, hour and a half by car at the most to go see some players to work with them. Um, it's all about, you know, development. And how, what's the best way to develop players? It's, you know, proximity. So having a team far away doesn't make really any sense, even today's standards, even though it's easy to fly around or hop in a car. It's still, you know, a four-hour round trip to hear Mobile, or do you just go across Lake Pontchartrain to St. Tammany Parish in, the, in an hour, or hour and a half? Um, what, what makes more sense? So I think that's what they're looking at right now, and I think that might be the ultimate uh, deciding factor. That's why I think Baton Rouge might be the favorite. Yeah, I don't really see Pensacola or uh, Shreveport as favorites for just that reason, as you said. Just the distance. It's too far. Ali, Thank you so much for your time. You guys, once again, you can follow him at Red Hopeful. He is the editor-in-chief of thebirdrights.com, SB Nation's Pelicans blog. And you can follow them on Twitter at Bird Rights. They've got some great writers, Dave Fisher, Kevin Barrio, Zakunda. Tell us a bit about what we can expect from your site going forward. What can our uh, can our readers check out coming this offseason? Yeah, we're going to be talking, since the draft isn't going to be big in our plans, we're going to be contriving a lot of trade ideas, um, free agent scenarios for the team as well as you know just closing up on how the team finished and I don't mean the season reviews I mean the review that matters the Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins portion I don't think enough people are talking about what worked what didn't so we're going to go in depth and hopefully what we can see what we hope the team will do for personnel from a personnel standpoint to bring in to make those pieces um, shine around those two big guys because that's all what it's about we've got the two guys we've got the two big names the two stars it's about what we put around them now. We saw what didn't work last year. So we got to find something that works. And I think that's the biggest thing going forward. Thanks so much, Ollie. And hopefully once you guys post those up, I can uh, call you up again and get your take on those articles. That sounds great. Thank you, Preston, so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Again, you guys, that was Ali Cassell of the Bird Rights SB Nation's Pelicans blog. Thank you so much to him. He does such a wonderful job on their site, and we were so privileged to have him on here. To all of his guys, you guys keep up the great work. And to our guys at Pelican Debrief, you guys keep up the great work. And get at me. Let's get you on this show. To all of you, the listeners out there, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, everything's been going so well with this podcast. The, the listens, the downloads, everything is on the up and up. If I can give you guys a quick tip, if you want to get through this, 
this a little bit quicker because it is a 45-minute episode at this point. If you have a, a program like Overcast or your, your Apple download player, make sure that you go in there to the, the timestamp and uh, accelerate the episode uh, uh, in no simple terms. Just, just fast forward a little bit. There's a little cursor on the bottom where you can go up to two times the regulated speed of the podcast, and that way you can use that uh, tool to get through the episode a little bit quicker. If it's a 45-minute episode, you can listen it in, in say, 27, 30 minutes and uh, save a bit of your time. And then you can add in more time for stuff like Locked On Pels or uh, Zach Lowe or Bill Simmons, some of the stuff that I like to listen to. But uh, first and foremost, thank you guys for stopping here. Uh, keep in touch. Before we we expand to Friday's article on PelicanDebrief.com, make sure you go back to our archives and check out our previous episodes with Jeff Duncan, Mason Ginsburg, Ian Levy, Jordan Crawford, Brennan Clean, Rick Stone. We've had some wonderful guests, and we want to share those podcasts with you guys as we're going forward in this uh, dead part of the offseason. But for now, thank you guys, and let's go, pals.